0: So let me read it to us tonight, and then I'll invite Dan to come and explain it to us. 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, Attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Talaim 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away. Leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all through the night, Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission, the Lord assigned me, I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king, The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he's not a man that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but... Please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him confidently, thinking, Surely the bitterness of death has passed. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. Though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel.
1: Do you now wonder who uh, remembers this? There we go. This photo of a dress went viral around the world four years ago from now. And it went viral because people couldn't agree on what color this dress is. You see, there'll be some of us like me that will look at this dress and say without hesitation that it's white and gold. But there'll be others that look at this dress and say without hesitation that it's purple and black. And just out of interest this evening, hands up if you look at this photo and see it's white and gold. Hands up. And who looks at this photo and sees it as purple and black? Hands up. Blue and black. Oh, sorry. There we go. But you see, I have to break it to the white and gold team this evening that this dress they've actually discovered is black and blue, or black and purple, I can't quite believe it myself, but there you go. And it goes to show something quite frightening. That my mind can actually deceive itself into seeing something that's not true. I end up seeing something in one sense is so clear in a completely different way. And you know, in some ways it can be a bit like that when we come to hearing God's word. God's word is so clear in the way that he wants us to live. And yet sometimes my heart desperately wants to see something else written on the pages. And while seeing a different color on the dress was unintentional, seeing a completely different version to God's word often is very intentional. We end up wanting to see something completely different because maybe we don't like what we see in God's word. And you know, it exposes the truth in our heart that we still long to be our own authority in life, the ultimate judge of of what we believe is right and wrong. In our passage this evening, we see this attitude towards God's clear words, an attitude that rewrites God's words into the words that we desperately long to see instead. And you know, last week as we were in 1 Samuel 14, we saw how King Saul's reign over the people of Israel, it's coming to an end. Saul is not the right man for the job. He hasn't got the right heart. And tonight we see the final episode of Saul, King Saul, being the main character in the story. As his rule comes to an end. And tonight as we go through our passage this evening, I've got three points as we explore it together. And the first one is a clear word a clear word. You see, we see at the start of our passage, God's word through the prophet Samuel comes to Saul. Look with me at verse 3. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys." Now, do you know, maybe we hear this command given to Saul, and maybe we really struggle to hear such a destructive, such a harsh, such an overwhelming judgment pronounced on everyone that was an Amalekite. But you know, we must know this evening that the Bible is not sanitized for our own comfort and our enjoyment. It's recording actual history actual historical events. And we must understand the context of this. You see, this is not a rash, it's not a sudden decision by God just to wipe out everyone who is an Amalekite. This was something that was promised way back in Exodus as the people came out of Egypt. And in Deuteronomy, a couple of books later, God again remembers the people of the promise that he made. And in Deuteronomy 25, God says this, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land, he has given you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under, the, from under heaven. Do not forget. That's what God says in Deuteronomy. You see, the Amalekites were unmerciful enemies on the people of Israel. There were people that did not fear God. And God promised his people that one day the Amalekites would see judgment for the way that they had treated God and the way that they treated his people. And, you know, it reminds us of the sobering fact As it says in Genesis chapter 18 verse 25, God is judge of all the earth. All of it. And you know, whilst today God's people are made up from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, it is a beautiful picture what God is doing in every nation. Whilst God's people, there is no ethnic division today. God is still judge of all the earth. That hasn't changed. And not only that, but God cares about the way that God's people suffer at the hands of their enemies. And we know that one day he promises to hold to account all those that have opposed God and his people. And so in these opening verses of chapter, of this chapter, we see it's a hard word from God, but it's a clear one one that you can't mistake, one that you can't interpret any other way. It's a clear word. But secondly, this evening, we see it's wrongly interpreted, wrongly interpreted from verses 4 to 23. So even though this word of the Lord is so clear, Saul, as we see throughout this section, manages to completely misinterpret this command. And after Saul, he's got together all of his forces, he's got together his army, and he's heading down to see the Amalekites. After he defeats them in battle, well, verse 9, it says this. Look with me. But Saul and the army spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Saul doesn't destroy everything, but rather keeps things that to him look good to keep. Yet as we know, this is not what the Lord commanded him. And we see that in verse 10, where it gets to the point where God says to Samuel, I regret... I have made Saul king. And do you know, that might throw up a few questions for us this evening. Like, how can a God that is sovereign and in control over every part of this universe regret a decision that he made? And also, why does it say here God regretted that he made Saul king, when in verse 29 of our passage, it says quite clearly that God does not lie or change his mind. What's going on here? Well, firstly, we need to know that that word regret, actually, in the Red Church Bibles, as Josh read it out, it's also translated grieved. God was grieved at what Saul had done in not obeying his word. And it shows us that that God is not unmoved at our rebellion to him. As Dale Ralph Davis says, we need to know that the God of the Bible is not a cold slab of concrete impervious to our carefully defended apostasies. God is deeply grieved at human sin. This is a window into the heart of God. But how do we reconcile that with verse 29? Well, do you know, these can and these must be held together. You see, if verse 10 shows us the heart of God at sin, verse 29 shows us how God is sovereign and in control even over sin. While it still grieves God that that Saul acted in this way, God's plan never in one sense changed. David, as we'll see next week, is the one always chosen to reign over God's people. We have here two sides of the same coin. And if you'd like to talk to me after the service about any questions that you have about this, I'll be more than happy to do that. We see here God's grief over Saul's sinful rejection of his word. And we see also Samuel's in verse 11. And then from then on, we see Samuel. He goes to confront Saul over his disobedience. And when he meets Saul, well, there seems to be nothing wrong in Saul's mind. Look with me at verse 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Morning, Samuel. Look at the great job I've done in carrying out the Lord's command. And, you know, this conversation its almost written out as a sad comedy sketch. Because Samuel hears... Saul say, I've done exactly as you say, but at the same time in verse 14, but Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? I hear what you're saying, Saul, but I also hear that you've got some sheep that don't belong to you. It's like, you know, when a child has chocolate completely covered around their face, categorically denying that they ate the chocolate bar. And, you know, we might think that Saul, he eventually sees that he's got things wrong. And we eventually get to that. But all the way from verse 15 to 21, after every rebuke from Samuel, Saul is adamant that he has obeyed the word of the Lord. He's so blind to his error. Look with me at verse 15. Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Uh, yeah, I know I I know we kept some of the sheep, but we got rid of the rest. Uh, surely that's enough, Samuel. And then in verse 19, Samuel says, Why did you not obey the Lord? And again in verse 20, Saul replies, but I did obey the Lord. And he gives a similar answer that he's taken all of this plunder somehow to devote it to God. And how could God be angry at that? The clear words at the start doesn't seem to be so clear to Saul. God says all, but Saul says some. And you know, the frightening thing in this passage Is that Saul has managed to deceive himself into thinking he's done exactly as he was expected. That's the frightening thing here. Because, you know, it's so easy, isn't it, to hear and to read God's word to us and end up only hearing and seeing what we want it to look like. You know, in Jeremiah, we've been going through it in the morning. It was great this morning, wasn't it? So challenging. But in Jeremiah 17, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Do you know, it's a heart that treats God's words like we treat Play-Doh. You know, sometimes we like Saul. It ends up with us wanting to shape and us to mold God's words in our likeness. Around our desires, we take the bits that we want and well, if we want to leave stuff out, well, that's absolutely fine. And the times when God's word says something I really don't like, well, that's all right. I can just mold it. I can just make it say something else, something that I want it to say. Do you know, for example, I know it says in God's word, Jesus is Lord." That's a statement I know well. It's a statement that I agree with. But it doesn't mean that Jesus is Lord over my thoughts, does it? Surely not. It doesn't mean that Jesus is Lord over every word that I say, does it? Surely not. It doesn't mean that Jesus is Lord over every earthly possession that I own, does it? Because I'm not sure I like that. It doesn't mean... Jesus is Lord means that I have to live with him at school among my friends, even though I don't want to, live his way. It's just Sunday, right? And slowly, like Saul, the temptation is that we hear God's clear word and we end up treating his word like Play-Doh. We end up not with God's clear word, we end up with our own molded word that's comfortable for us. That's satisfying for us. That's so easy for us. Because, you know, even Saul deceives himself into thinking that if he does something really holy, like sacrifice something, that's going to be okay. And Samuel says, no, you've rejected the word of the Lord. It's not what it says. And Samuel says in verse 23, to obey is better than sacrifice. God doesn't want your stuff. He wants your heart. And so for Saul, he's he's completely wrongly interpreted God's clear words. And no amount of sacrifices, no amount of regular church attendance, no amount of money given in the offering, no amount of good things... Changes the fundamental truth that we're not listening to God's word as God's word. That's what Samuel says to Saul. To obey is better than sacrifice. God wants your heart. Not your stuff. And finally this evening we see... A clear word, wrongly interpreted, but finally always fulfilled. Always fulfilled, and that's from verses 24 to the end of the chapter. You see, for Saul, it's over. We see that in 20, verse 23. Saul's rejected the word of the Lord, and now the Lord has rejected him as king. This is Saul's curtain call over his reign. And we see that in the last section. Because even though it looks like Saul repents, he, he changes his mind. He's grieved at what he's done. Uh, Many commentators doubt the sincerity of his repentance. And and God's clear word comes to Saul that you're not going to be king forever. We see that in verse 28, where Samuel says, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you. As we saw earlier, this is the decision that God is not going to change his mind on. But you know, there's still a problem There is still a problem. God promised his people that the Amalekites would see complete destruction. But you see, that promise hasn't been fulfilled completely yet. Do you remember Agag, the king that Saul spared? He still roams. He's captive, but he's alive. And so it takes, we see, God's prophet Samuel to fulfill God's word. And God's promise to his people. And so he puts Agag to death. We see her in our passage, Samuel fulfilling God's promise of judgment on the Amalekites. And so we see this pointing us to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, who is the yes and amen to all of God's promises, who is the fulfillment of God's promise of mercy, We need to remember to this world that tonight, whoever we are, whatever we have done, Jesus says that those who come and follow him, those that turn to him and trust him, those that call him Lord, will be made spotless. Their sin washed away forever by his blood poured out for us. But Jesus is also the fulfillment of God's promise of judgment As we see in Acts chapter 17 verse 31, it says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus is God's promise of judgment. Now we had a newcomer's afternoon tea just before here and Andy read to us about what's coming up in the future And the future is revelation when Christ comes and every eye will see him in all of his glory. Every tongue will have to confess that he is Lord. That's his promise to us, his people today. He will come again. And Jesus will and Jesus has fulfilled all of God's promises. Not one word will fail. Not one promise will be failed to be brought about. No amount of human sin or however, however strongly this world rebels will be able to stop God's word being brought about. And you know, if we're here this evening and, and we haven't chosen to trust Jesus as our Lord, well, can this evening be an encouragement for us to think about that day when Christ will come? When he will fulfill his promise to us. That we need to get right with him. And that he has made a way for us to be right with him. As we'll remember later on in our service. Turn to him. And so we've seen this evening, God's clear word is wrongly interpreted, but always fulfilled. And, you know, knowing that, well, let us this week, by the Spirit's work in us, let us come to God's word, seeking to obey what it says and not what I want it to say. That's been the real challenge for me this week. To let the word of God mold me. And not let me mold the word of God. Knowing the incredible truth that every word in this book in front of us will be fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? Well, you know, we're going to end it there and we've got some questions that will be coming up on the screen. Um, There we go. We're going to spend this time uh, around our tables. Um, Do feel free to say as much or as little or say nothing at all, if that's what you're comfortable with. But it's an opportunity now for just us to discuss what we've heard and for us to think about what this means for us this week. So let's take this time around our tables, and then Josh will lead us in our time um, of communion as we go through our service together. Let's do that together.